today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Another problem we have at this point in time, you and I might be talking to, to someone a whole lot more smarter than we are, okay? And, and we might think, man, I got everything down. I'll be able to lay this thing up. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes and he just blows us away. Are you ready for that? If you're going in your own power, I guarantee you, you are not ready for that. Or maybe the individual might have some underlying issues that, that arguing the scriptures with him, love it, actually will never touch. And it might even drive him further from the hope of the gospel. Maybe he wants to really and truly hear what Christ is doing in your life. And then that's going to open up the opportunity for the scripture down the road. Satan knows scripture better than you. He even tried to use his knowledge in tempting Jesus. As Pastor David warns us in today's message, when we encounter an enemy of the gospel, it's possibly that they know scripture just as well or even better than us. We can spout verse after verse, but they will fire right back at us and we may find ourselves floundering. It is important to study and know God's Word, but sometimes our most effective evangelism tool is to tell our own story of salvation and what Christ has done for us. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, End Times Preparation. A lot of Christians today, we enjoy freedom from official persecution. We even enjoy uh, freedom from family opposition. But there are so many others who suffer greatly for their faith. And what our Lord says here should be an encouragement even to them that God is in control, yes, even in the midst of persecution and trials that come our way. As I shared with you in some earlier studies, the words given by Jesus at this time, they're a, a mixed of statements dealing with a variety of times, a variety of situations. Some of them deal with the end of the age. Some of them deal with his return to reign and rule. Others deal with the coming fall of Israel to the Romans. Now, again, here in verses 20 through 24, Jesus is dealing directly with the imminent fall of Jerusalem that took place in 70 AD. Look at what he says here in verses 20 through 24. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And beloved, that's exactly what happened when 70 AD Titus and his armies came in and literally sacked all of Jerusalem at that time. 
tore it apart and tore it down. The flames that began there on the Temple Mount spread throughout the city. And again, all the destruction that was there, it was again uh, 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 Josephus that tells us in his writings, the Jewish historian of the time, he says that 1.1 million people were killed throughout Israel during that siege. Now, a lot of people say, no, that's way too high of a number. There's no way that that could be. Well, be that as it may be, the enormity of the people that were slaughtered by the Romans there cannot be doubted. And also, 97,000 of them were taken into captivity. Josephus also tells us that there was nothing left in that city to make those that came to that region believe that this town had ever been inhabited. That's how complete the destruction of Jerusalem was by the Roman soldiers there in 70 AD. All of this being trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, what is this times of the Gentiles? The Apostle Paul speaks of a very similar time frame in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, when he says that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, God has a reason and a purpose at this point in time, to have the eyes of the Jews blinded to an understanding of the gospel until the times of the Gentiles is completed. And that's what we're in right now, folks. We are in the times of the Gentiles. We read about this time. We read about this destruction. We read about this devastation through for all of Israel, both Old Testament and New. We read it in passages in Ezekiel. We read it in passages in the book of Daniel, all of them speaking of the fall, the desecration of Jerusalem and the temple and the trampling of the Gentiles until Christ's second coming is about to happen. That's why Jesus tells his disciples back here in Luke 21, in, beginning in verse 25, he says, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now you need to understand, this is different than what he said just a few verses above in verse 10 and 11. He says, hey, look, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes, pestilences, and famines. That's the stuff that happens all the time. But as the time grows near for his second coming, these things are going to be ramped up to such a degree that men's hearts are even going to be failing them because of fear and the expectation of the things that are coming to the earth. John writes in the book of Revelation about these very things just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 16, if you want to keep your place in Luke 21, flip over to the book of Revelation chapter 16, the book of Revelation that's just before the book of Concordance. It should be to the right of you as you flip over. Book of Concordance. I haven't read that one yet. I thought that I had all of them done. Revelation chapter 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to kind of run through them. I want to highlight some verses again as John writes again from what he sees is taking place in the world in those last days. 
In Revelation 16, beginning in verse 1, John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of what, church? The wrath of God on the earth. Verse 2, it says, Foul and loathsome sores came upon men. Verse 3 says, Every living creature in the sea died. Verse 9 says, Men were scorched with great heat. Verse 10 says, The throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness, and men gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Verse 11, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Verse 18, There were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Verse 21, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Beloved, it is a time that you do not want to be in. As I've shared with you before in this study, and I'm not going to go long on this, I fully believe, according to the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, from the teaching of the prophets to the declarations of Christ, and even what we see in the book of Revelation, I do not believe it's the church that's going to be here at that time. I believe that the church itself is going to be raptured and brought up to be in presence with our groom as his bride during the time that the wrath of God is being poured out on all the sons of disobedience. We were not appointed to wrath. We are the bride of Christ. And again, there's a lot of things that we could go on that, but today is not the time. But just consider this. If you were the groom and you were preparing your bride for your wedding ceremony for the time to come together, would you want her to go through this kind of wrath that we just read in Revelation 16? No, I believe that he takes us out of there. We have, again, the marriage supper of the Lamb, our time with our groom for these seven years while the wrath of God is being poured out on a non-believing world. And that's when the eyes of the Jews are going to open up. The witness of that 144,000 is going to bring many people to Christ during that time, but they're going to, it's going to, they're going to pay for it with their lives. That's the martyrs, that's the witnesses during that time. So let me move on. In verse 27, back in Luke 21, Jesus tells them that when they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, or then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When all of these things are taking place, and remember, as I shared last week and I believe the week before, this message that Jesus is giving here in Luke 21, as well as in Matthew 24 and 25, as well as in Mark 13, this is a message to the Jewish nation. It's not a message to the church. It's a message to the Jewish nation because he says you can see all this stuff. And when you see, that's when he says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now, I, you, you probably closed Revelation. Go and find it again real quick. Revelation 19, Revelation 19. 
John writes in Revelation 19, after all of these things that we see happening in 16 and all the other events that are going to take place in Revelation 17 and 18 and in the beginning of chapter 19 of Revelation, we see in Revelation 19 beginning in verse 11, John says, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on their horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Beloved, that is going to be what those who are remaining will see coming in the clouds. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. At this point in time, Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he defeats not only the beast and all of his armies, but he sets in motion that millennial kingdom. After that millennial kingdom, then comes the making of the new heavens and the new earth. But for here, for now, as we swing, come back now to A.D. 33, as Jesus is ministering to his disciples, we look in Luke 21, verse 28. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draweth near. That's our great hope, isn't it? That God knows our redemption, and even for those that are going to be here during the wrath and during the severity of the persecution of the last days, the reality is Christ is coming again to receive to himself all those that are his. And beloved, our redemption is drawing closer every day, rather that's the rapture of the church, or rather it's the reality of going through all of that wrath of God, and then finally Christ coming for those who have come by faith to receive him. But what about now? What about today? What about the persecution that you and I may be facing, should the Lord tarry, another 10 years or 15 or 20 years? How are we going to stand in the midst? How do those in, in other countries and in other cultures be able to stand firm in their faith when their lives are on the line or their families are on the line? Their children are at risk. Why? Because they dare name the name of Christ. That's where I want to take us back here to verses 14 and 15. Remember the one that we put on the back burner? Let's bring it up front real quick. Luke 21, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. At first you think, well, that just doesn't make sense. Not to meditate, not to think about what I'm going to answer. Shouldn't I have some kind of a good, com, uh, a good comeback, you know, against uh, when, when people say things about Christianity? I mean, they, they, they could say such and such, and oh, when they say that, then I can say this, this, and this. And then if they say this, and then I can say this, this, and this. You ever have that kind of a conversation with yourself? 
you know, know, you're going to have an argument with somebody and say, well, if they come at me with this, then I'm going to come at with with that. And we have the whole argument dealt, uh, you know, uh, beforehand in our minds before we go to the situation. And then what usually happens? It goes a completely different direction, okay? And Jesus is here saying, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you what to say. We think, well, if they bring out this argument, then then I'll be able to bring out this proof text. Yeah, that may not work at all. That may not be what they need to hear. Shouldn't, shouldn't I be ready to tell them everything I know about the Word of God? Shouldn't I be ready to, to quote to them every scripture verse that I've ever learned, all four of them? I mean, I, shouldn't I be ready? Yeah, you should be ready, but not in that way. I think that our being ready comes at least twofold, actually, actually threefold. First of all, the problem that we have, the problem that we have in these kinds of situations is that we have no idea what the argument might be beforehand. We have no idea what the attack might be. And then we have no idea where it's going to go once it starts. Uh, we just don't know. We can guess, but we don't know. Guess who does know? God. God knows exactly. Another problem we have at this point in time, you and I might be talking to, to someone a whole lot more smarter than we are, okay? And, and we might think, man, I got everything down. I'll be able to lay this thing down. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes and he just blows us away. Are you ready for that? If you're going in your own power, I guarantee you, you are not ready for that. Or maybe the individual might have some underlying issues that, that arguing the scriptures with him, beloved, actually will never touch. And it might even drive him further from the hope of the gospel. Maybe he wants to really and truly hear what Christ is doing in your life. And then that's going to open up the opportunity for the scripture down the road. So what do we do? How do we prepare? This is what I said. A couple of ways that you need to be prepared. First of all, you need to be a prepared vessel. And as the Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does that mean? That means be prepared early on to know what the word of God speaks to you. How has the word of God impacted you in your life? We need to understand, we need to know the truths of God's Word, but we need to know their application in our own life before we can ever hope to really impact someone else. In order for the sword to accomplish the intended purpose, guess what? It's got to be sharpened. In order for the tool to be useful in the building process, guess what? It has to be cared for. It has to be repaired if necessary. Not to offend too many of you, but in order for the gun to do its job, it's got to be loaded, okay? You and I need to be prepared. There needs to be ammunition within our lives and within our understanding of God's Word. Our, Our minds, our spiritual life needs to be sharpened in order that God can use us when the time comes. If you're ignorant of the Word of God, you're not going to be very effective in sharing the truth of the Word of God. Let me share that with you one more time. If you are ignorant 
of the Word of God, if the only time that you get the Word of God is when you come in on Sunday mornings, and at that, on occasional Sunday mornings, if that's your only understanding, if that's the only infilling that you get of the Word of God, you are going to be ineffective as a tool for God to use when that comes. How can you powerfully share something that you know very little about? So first and foremost, we need to be a prepared vessel. No, not with some rote little thing that if he asks this, I say this. If he says that, I say that. And that's what the cults do. That's what uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses every Saturday in their kingdom hall prepare for. And they come up with all, all, all the responses to come back. Beloved, I want the Holy Spirit directing me, not some man's design or plan or program. Secondly, not only do you need to be a prepared vessel, you and I need to be a filled vessel. And again, I turn to the words of the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 18, he says, See then that you, as a believer, that you walk circumspectfully. And that means walking with understanding. You, you, you see what's going on around you. You're aware of the situations around you. And you are walking in a clear and a precise way. See that you walk circumspectfully, not as a fool, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is in your own personal life. But he goes on from there. He says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Understand what the will of the Lord is in your life and be filled with the Spirit of God. <laughs> I, I fully believe, according to God's word, I stand on the truth that when you and I come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in our lives, the Holy Spirit comes and takes presence within our lives. He abides within the life. The word of God says that without the Holy Spirit, we are none of his. He is our seal. He is our guarantee of salvation. But beloved, I also believe that you and I as believers, we need to be continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit because beloved, we leak. We leak. The, the cares, concerns, the trials, the, the failures in our own life, Again, not that we're losing the Holy Spirit. Don't take this wrong. I've had people come up to me about that. The fact is, is we, we, we leak in the power and the leading and the directioning uh, of the Holy Spirit within our life. We need to be continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that, in essence, really and truly is what the verb sense in Ephesians there is. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit because we need it on a continual basis. As we are emptied of the things and the desires of the world, and as we are filled with the Spirit of God in our lives, then we're moving in the power of the Spirit and not in our own power. In our own power, we will fail continually and miserably, even to the point that we don't even want to speak or, 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 or witness or testify of the things of Christ because we've been beaten up so bad so many times. But beloved, when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, when we are vessels that are ready and prepared, our swords are sharpened, we are filled with the knowledge of the Word of God. We know the will of God in our life and we are filled by the Spirit of God. Then when persecution comes, it becomes that great opportunity for you and I to witness of the reality and the truth of who Christ is. Be a prepared vessel. 
Be a filled vessel. That way, when persecution comes and challenges come against your own personal faith, then you are in tune with the heart and the mind of God. When you're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, when that's happening in our lives, walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh, then we don't need to meditate beforehand on what we're going to answer. Why? Because the Lord Himself is going to give us a mouth and wisdom which all our adversaries will not be able to contradict and resist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.